John 1, there is our passage that we just read. However, I'll ask if you have a Bible or if you want to look it up on Google, you can go to John chapter 21, because that will be the first passage I will reference. And then I will take you back to John chapter 1 after we've been in John chapter 21 for just a moment. So the Gospel of John is the book of the Bible that we're going to be studying now and for the next few weeks. So let me explain. If you know that icebreaker question, maybe you've heard it before, that goes along the lines of, if you could go back in history and meet anyone, who would you like to meet? And, and you know, there's all kinds of answers across the spectrum. But if you grew up in church, I grew up in church, and there's always a church answer to things. Like when you ask that question, who would you like to go back in history? Like the correct answer in the church is Jesus. Like you're supposed to say Jesus. But, um, and, and so that's kind of what we want to do. We want to do um, that. We want to meet Jesus. So the, the name of the series is called Encounters with Jesus. The Gospel of John is, is unique in the way it presents Jesus. Because uh, what you'll see as you read through that book is oftentimes John is telling the story wrapped around someone actually meeting with him, someone getting to know Jesus, someone finding out more about him. And you might think of, for example, if you're familiar with that gospel at all, you might think of the woman that Jesus meets at a well, or you might think of Nicodemus. So those are upcoming. We'll describe what those episodes look like because no matter what you think of Jesus, there's always curiosity around him just because he's so well-known. I mean, you can go many places in the world and some idea of Jesus will be known. You can still go many places in the world too where his name is not known and we're working on that, but you can know that he really is the most renowned figure in all of history to this point over the last 2000 years. Uh, so that's, that's the idea of this series. We're gonna spend 10 weeks going through the gospel of John and we would love for you to join us week in and week out. If you miss a week, we're trying to post these talks online. You're gonna hear from me, you're gonna hear from some of the elders of the church as we go through this book. So here's what we're gonna do. First, today, we're going to work through the Apostle John's vision of what it was like to meet Jesus. Apostle John is the one who wrote this book and we're gonna start with him and the opening words that we just read from his gospel. Do this for me first. Envision attempting to articulate the most profound experience of your life. Think back with me on a place and a time that left an indelible mark on your life. Think about that experience. Think about that experience that was so transformative or, or life altering maybe. It could have been a trip you took. It could have been a person you met. It could have been a book you read, even a movie you watched. I heard a story of a guy recently. He was, he was describing what happened as a young man when he snuck into a movie theater. He watched a movie. It was about a police officer. And in this movie, it absolutely changed his life. Like he, he went into law enforcement because he watched this movie and, and something was happening in his life. This epiphany happened where he was like, it changed the course of his life. Maybe, I don't know, I've never had a movie like that, but maybe you've had something like that, some kind of event that took place. For me, I think back on trips I've taken, the most profound changes and life-altering moments have been when I've gotten out of my context and into other contexts. I, I think back to my very first trip I took overseas to the country of Zambia, and that just reshaped my whole worldview. Maybe you have something like that. 
as adults, I think it's much more rare to have these moments. I think about my kids all the time. I have five kids. So with my kids, it happens a little more frequently. They have these profound moments much more than us, right? Because they're like, even small things, they're like, whoa, that was amazing. And you're like, that's a piece of cake. I've had many pieces of cake, but not like that before, you know, and, and they get excited about it. It's like Buddy the Elf all the time. So can you think of an experience like that? Maybe a certain event, again, do you have that in mind? And here's what's going to happen. That event, someone's going to ask you about it. Tell me about, what'd you think of that? And they're going to be trying to pull out of you what happened. And if you're like me, it's a struggle to really encapsulate in words what that experience was, what that trip was like, or what that book that was so good, or that song I just heard. Like to be able to, or maybe even something you ate, that like you, you're trying to put it into words and you just can't do it. So for example, again, you go on an international trip, you get outside of this context and it completely upends your life and someone will inevitably say, how was your trip? And, 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 and the only thing you can get out of your mouth is, it was good. And you're like, I want to say so much, but that's all I can get out. It was good. How do you describe what happened in your life? Now, think about this. If it was truly transformative, it, if it truly was profound in, in the true meaning of that word, it may be very difficult to express in that moment exactly what it was like. And it may take years for you to even reflect on all that happened. Okay, so that's the idea of the Apostle John. It takes him much longer to write down his gospel than the other gospels. And I think it has in large part to do, I'm hypothesizing here, in large part to do with the fact that how do you describe this man that you met and lived with and did life with that, you know, resurrected from the grave and that claimed to be God? How do you describe that? What do you say about that? How would you tell someone about the most profound experience of your life? And how would you put that into words? Well, John has encountered Jesus and it has turned his life completely upside down. It's been the most profound experience of his life. And he's trying to share here with us through his whole gospel what happens. But in particular, his introduction to Jesus is truly unique. Because he is trying to put into words who this person is. All right, so. First, I want you to have in the background, as we get to John chapter 1, the final verses of his gospel. So in chapter 21, that's where I told you to turn earlier to look at. In chapter 21, verse 20, there's, and we'll preach on this one too, but there's this episode with Peter. And we're on the tail end of it. You don't have to know all the context. You just need to know that here's Peter. He's one of the disciples. And it's Peter. And it says that Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. So there's like, okay, who's, who's that disciple? Who's the one that Jesus loved? That would be described like that. And, and that goes on to say, well, um, you know, Peter knows that Jesus has told him he's going to die an early death. And, and Peter's like, well, what about this guy, the one you love? And Jesus says, well, that's up to me. And then in verse 24, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. 
Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't it interesting how John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved? That would be very helpful as you read through his gospel, and he, he uh, conveys to us these episodes, these encounters of people that met Jesus. But in verse 24, he basically says, I'm the one writing these things. I saw it, and it's true. All that to say, as we focus in on John chapter 1, these are not words of a detached historian or indifferent theologian. These are the musings of an eyewitness attempting to articulate the most profound experience of his life. And so how would he describe that? Again, if someone had met Jesus, I would want to know, like, what was it like? What would you say about him? And the Apostle John does just that in these first few verses of his gospel. I'll outline it this way. You'll look at the who of Jesus, when of Jesus, the what of Jesus, and the where of Jesus. It doesn't completely make grammatical sense, but just go with me here. We're going to look at the who, when, what, and where. That will help us kind of structure this. And we'll start with that first verse again. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. How does John go about describing what he has encountered with Jesus? After years of reflection, John writes with the most incredible depth and poetry, in my opinion, with more depth and poetry than anywhere else I can find in any other book written. Picture Again, coming back from that amazing trip, that place you've been, and and you want to share with your closest friends what it was like. But instead of telling them right in that moment, you wait like 20 years to tell them. That's kind of what John is doing. And, And by the time he's ready to write about this Jesus, out comes a true reflection. I I was sharing with my children this morning about my encounter with Jesus. As a as a nine-year-old, there it was like it, it I mean, I'm not saying it was like Paul's trip to Damascus where a light shines from heaven and he's blinded. It wasn't that, but it felt like that as a kid. It really felt like God just came down and was like looking straight at me and he was grabbing me. And I was sharing that with my kids this morning and I got emotional about it. Because it's like every year I reflect deeper and deeper on that, the more profound it becomes. And you see John in these words like grabbing for as much as he could possibly hand out to just convey that. So he uses words like he was the word, he was the life, he was the light. Ultimately, John wants to make it very clear that first we need to see that Jesus is God. That's the who. Who is Jesus? He's God. When John says, in the beginning was the word, this word we see somehow is an extension of God, right? Our words go out of us. That's an extension of us. But then he says the word was with God. Okay, what does that mean? And then he makes, and then it starts to make more sense when he says the word was God. Now we know there's something going on here that this word isn't just the voice of God, but somehow a separate person. So that gets us into the when and the what of Jesus, okay? I'll explain this more. When when John chooses to introduce Jesus, 
he goes way outside the box. When you look at the other gospels, you have Matthew. He begins with Abraham, so he goes pretty far back. He goes back to Abraham. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. He has that in mind, and he wants to explain who Jesus is, so he goes back to Abraham. Mark begins with John the Baptist. He starts telling the story of John the Baptist and all the events that have unfolded to get us to Jesus. Luke begins with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And eventually, uh, Luke actually does give us a genealogy. But for John, he goes back to the beginning. John doesn't begin with the genealogy or straightforward narrative. Instead, he takes us back even beyond the beginning, challenging us to comprehend the vastness of Jesus' existence. So he uses a very powerful Greek term in that first sentence, logos. That's the word that's translated as word. That word in itself is packed with meaning from the Greek world. You could get all into that and like, you know, start studying that. And there's much to be said and thought about in that regard because that logos means power. It means uh, like what underlies all things. We could get into that, but John in my opinion, is predominantly using the word so that we see Jesus through the lens of Genesis. If you know Genesis, it begins with in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when God creates, he speaks. It's through his words that creation comes. And now John is saying, who was that word? but Jesus. He was with God and he was God. So there at the beginning of creation, as he was speaking, that was Jesus, the agent of creation. Hebrews and Colossians both, both allude to that very fact that it was through Jesus all things were made and for Jesus all things were made and that they're all sustained through Jesus. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. There's a, there's a richness here now, you don't have to be Bible scholars in this, but if you would like to like study more, you can start picking out these words like word and just sticking with that and studying it and understanding that there's lots of hyperlinks, if you will, that John picks up from the Old Testament scriptures to get us to a point to understand what's happening. Next, he says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All things were made through the word. He's the creator, but there's also life in him. And then it also says he's the light. You could study each of those words. You could pick them out and look at them, and you could see the depth, again, of John's words here. In Genesis... When God creates the world and he speaks into existence the light, just, let's just take this for example. When, when John says, here's the word, and he was also light, let's go back to Genesis, like I think John would want us to. When God speaks and let there be light, what happened to the darkness? Vanishes at that point. You see, uh, there's this idea that some people hold that Light and dark are somehow two equal and opposing powers, this dualistic notion. But the truth is, darkness is no match for light, right? Darkness can't fight back from light. Only, only light can be more bright to bring out the darkness. Darkness can't fight back in reverse. 
the light might not seem as bright, but it's the light that always overcomes the darkness. And Jesus is this light that is coming to overcome darkness. This is the way that John has chosen to explain to us whom he has encountered in Jesus. Again, just go back to this. I, I want this is the whole point of this whole sermon, like to keep coming back to this idea, okay, not that this is just some words on a page, but that this is someone who actually met Jesus and is talking about Jesus and is trying to communicate to us who he is. And he's weaving together these themes of creation and life and light and drawing parallels with the Genesis account. And in doing so, John paints a portrait of someone who transcends the universe itself. So here's, I'm going to try my best here to sum up the when and the what. The when is that Jesus was before the universe, and the what is that Jesus is bigger than the universe. So John is saying, like, here's, guys, come in, come in close. That's what John is saying, come in close, and I want you to see that, that someone who's bigger than the universe and before the universe is here. In fact, that's, that's the where, getting to that next. Where is he? He's here. Uh, in verse 6, we read next that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That's our first introduction to another John. Don't get the two Johns confused. There's the Apostle John writing this. Then there's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. More on him at another point. Not today. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's the part that you have to sit on for a moment. That the very creator who made anything you can imagine on this earth, right? Lions and fire ants and mountains and oceans. He showed up, and yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this is the where. Someone who's bigger than the universe and before the universe was ever created, he's here. He's put on flesh and blood and he's here. The one who spoke the world into existence, he's here. This is the announcement of John. This is, this is the big picture that John wants to give you. That as you get to know Jesus, this is what he has to say, that he's the one who created everything. He knows everything, and he came here. Just like in the last part of this gospel where he says, look, I'm telling you everything that I saw, and it's all true. So have you ever had this kind of experience before that, I've, that I had not all that long ago where I had a meeting Went up to, uh, it was a new place, never, a building I'd never been to. Went up to that building, to the front door. Went to open the door, and uh, I was pulling to open it. 
and it did not open. And I, so like for a second there, it seemed like it was locked, pulled a little harder, didn't open. And I'm thinking, okay, is this the right place? I double checked the place. Nope, this, this is definitely it. And then, and then if you're anything like me, your mind starts to spiral a little bit. They're like, maybe they didn't want me here. Maybe that's what this is about. They locked me out. And, and you start, just, I don't know, your mind goes a hundred different ways by a simple door that wouldn't open. And, and like, I'm, I'm pulling a little harder, still nothing. And uh, as I'm doing that and messing with the door, finally someone comes to the door and they open it this way. It was supposed to push and I was pulling. And all, you know, all the things in your mind, just because I just couldn't open a door and couldn't read right in front of me that it said push instead of pull. So this truth was in front of me and I did totally missed it. Let me tell you a truth from the Bible that I totally missed. Okay. It was like, it's like a door in front of you that you push instead of pulling. Here's the truth from the Bible that is literally, if, if you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, there's one unified story and here's what it is. God relentlessly seeks to be present with his people. That's the story of the entire Bible. And let me tell you, that story was in front of me all through the years of like learning the Bible, and I missed it entirely for a very long time. And I'll just try to prove my point in just a matter of a few minutes to finish out with this where, the, this whole idea of Jesus showing up. If you go back to Genesis, and you fast forward from Genesis 1 to chapter 3, you know the story of Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, disobeying what God had for them. And they are about to face God. And in Genesis 3.8, it says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay, don't, don't miss what I just said. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So somehow there was this set up with them in the garden where like God would just come walking in. What'd that look like? What was that? I don't know. Uh, ask one of the other elders. That's, that's their jobs to explain. But as they're walking in the garden, the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. At that point, sin had caused them to move away from God and to want to hide. But somehow there was this relationship where God was completely and utterly present with them. Okay? So, so that's what that verse paints for us. And now man is at odds with God, though. And you would think maybe God would just say, okay, this, this whole thing with man didn't work out. His original plan to walk with God, be with that, or to walk with man, to be with them, it didn't work out. So what does God do? He doesn't walk away from man, even though man has walked away from him. You start to see things unfold in the next book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus. At this point, there's a people that God has chosen. He's like, I want to be with this people. He chooses Abraham. Abraham and, and his descendants become the people of Israel. In, the, in Exodus, you'll read about the incredible story of God intervening while his people were enslaved in Egypt. It was a rescue that was unparalleled until the advent of Jesus. After years and years of slavery, through 10 great signs, the Israelites walk out of slavery, out of Egypt, and even plunder the Egyptians on their way out. 
It's this amazing story, and it's a vivid picture of salvation that prefigures the ultimate deliverance that Jesus achieves through his sacrificial death on the cross, a rescue from the slavery of sin and death. But as the narrative progresses there in Exodus, you start to say, okay, God brought them out of Egypt. That's a big deal. He got them out of slavery. That's great. But like, what was their intended purpose? What were they to do at that point? And then you get to Exodus 25, and God answers why he brought them out of Egypt. He tells them to build a tabernacle. He's like, here's what I want to do now. I've got you out of Egypt, and I've got you to myself, and I want you to build a tabernacle. And he gives them detailed instructions for what that should look like. Notably, in Exodus 16, I've studied this a lot, so I, I'm, I try not to get too down in the weeds in all of this. I'm trying to give you just a broad stroke. But in Exodus 16, 16 the Israelites are described as living in tents for their nomadic journey. Okay, so that's where they live. And in Exodus 25, it's the exact same term that God uses when he says, build me a tabernacle. It, it, we, we translate it tabernacle, but it actually means, God says, build me a tent. That's where I'm going to come. And when they build the tent, the tabernacle, God's presence comes and settles in there. And it's this huge spectacle. And the people are afraid to even get close because God's shown up. So the Old Testament narrative unfolds further. As the Israelites settle in the promised land, they transition to be ruled by judges, eventually request a king. And regrettably, this marks the onset of a steep and steady decline for the Israelites. King Solomon builds a temple. It's akin to the tabernacle. It signals God's presence among his people. And God shows up again in the tabernacle. But then, if you just keep going and going and going, eventually the people just run more further away from God. This plan for God to be with his people hasn't quite fully come to fruition. Eventually, it's recorded later by the prophet Ezekiel that God's presence leaves the temple. Six centuries later, it's the most monumental event ever to have taken place. God, who was undeterred in his mission to be present with his people, heralds a new era in the Gospel of John in these words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. How do we put all these things together? Because John is trying to get us to see that whole picture and that whole story in his use of words. When he says, and Jesus came and dwelt among us, the word dwelt is the word tabernacle. It means that Jesus came to tabernacle to set up his tent right here with us again. As Eugene Peterson translates that verse in the message, he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. That's the picture. That Jesus took on flesh and he just moved right into five points. That's what it would have been like. The word became flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood. This time, unlike in Exodus, when God came in fire and smoke and this huge display, he comes humbly as a baby boy born to a teenage dad and a mom who was scandalously pregnant. It's mind-blowing, really, to think of. So if we could sit down with John, and we could ask him, what was it like to encounter Jesus and to know Jesus? What was he like? His answer is here in these verses. 
is he beautifully ties together the threads of the Old Testament narrative, showing us to be Jesus, the culmination of his of God's mission to be present with his people. John says, what was it like to know Jesus? Let me tell you, it was all about him coming to be present with us. That was his mission. That's what he wanted, to be present with us. This is the best, John would say, this is the best way I can describe him. I'll pull every metaphor and every storyline from the scripture, and I'll say it all points to Jesus. And best of all, he came here, and I talked with him, and I knew him. That's John's testimony to us. Dorothy Sayers was an author from the early 20th century, and she talks about this idea in one of her books about Jesus taking on flesh and humanity and coming here. And she says it better than I ever could by saying it like this. Now, we may call that doctrine, that doctrine meaning Jesus taking on flesh, becoming man, we may call that exhilarating, or we may call it devastating. We may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then no words have meaning at all. The idea that John's proclaiming to us that the creator God came and lived here and took on flesh and came among us to dwell with us, and all this is a culmination of all that he ever wanted to do was to be present with us. It can mean a lot of things, but it can't mean that it's dull. It can mean a lot of things, but to me personally, it means that Jesus came for me to know me and pursued me with no words I can describe. As I said, I want my kids to tell my story this morning and share a little bit about how I came to know Christ. It's like, it becomes more and more profound. And like John, I wish I could, or I wish I could be like John and, and write with such depth and speak with such clarity to just how much Jesus means to me and who he is. So I hope through John's words today that you're, you're encountering Jesus. And he said there in, in these verses that he came and not everyone received him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you don't know Jesus, he came for you came to deliver you, and he came so that you would know him and, and have a personal relationship with him and become a part of his family. That's the good news that we have to share, and uh, we'll look forward to sharing more encounters with Jesus as we move on. Thank you. Let's pray.